Roberts. I'm the arena announcer for the Utah Jazz. Time now to talk about the Utah Jazz and the NBA on the Salt Lake Tribune Jazz Podcast. How about this jazz? And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's meet Eric Walden, Andy Larson, and Joel Cardenas. Welcome back to the How About This Jazz Podcast. I'm Joel Cardenas, your co-host and moderator. Joining me as always are Salt Lake Tribune Jazz beat writers Andy Larson and Eric Walden. So guys, uh, we're into February now, and boy, that last month for the Jazz was one of the worst ever. What, 4-12, and 12, and I get it with the injuries and everything, and obviously we'll talk about a major injury, the season-ending injury of Joe Angles in a second, but I mean, I guess just to start off the bat, this is going to sound like a vague question, but I'll ask it anyway. Like, how do you build back up now? Like, it, is it, it feels like they keep falling and falling and falling, and it feels like it just there's no... There's no end to it. I know Donovan will come back. Rudy will come back. But you're not getting under the top three seeds, likely. I mean, maybe if Memphis stumbles a little bit, but top two is definitely out. Where did the Jazz go up now? Because, yeah, Angles is out. We'll talk about that. But the defense, because we could go on and on about that. There's just there's a lot of potholes in this road. That was a very negative way to start, Joel. Uh. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> Uh, I guess my immediate reaction would be like, I get it. Like, heaven knows I've seen enough, you know, kind of corresponding feelings from people uh, in Jazz Nation on social media. After every loss, like my timeline gets filled with this team doesn't care. Guys need to step up and they're not. And, you know, just kind of the we're in the depths of despair type reaction, whether the Jazz are third or fourth or fifth or whatever they wind up being in the standings at the end, like really the difference winds up being you don't have like a home court advantage at, at the bib is the thing, right? You're still going to have to play some of those same teams that they're going to have to play. You're still going to have to beat those teams. Like, I don't want to go all Quinn Snyder and, and repeat. So like, so long as they're healthy at the end of the year at the right time, like that's what's most important. But um, honestly, like that's kind of what's most important. Like, yeah, January sucked. For the Jazz, uh, th- there's no getting around that. You know, it-, it started off with Joe Ingles being the first guy on the team to get COVID, and it ended with Joe Ingles tearing his ACL, and everything in between was was pretty crap as well. But if Donovan Mitchell is is healthy come the playoffs, if Rudy Gobert is healthy come the playoffs, if they've made some kind of detailed, if they've made some kind of deal to address the defense, this is still a good team that's got a shot. So my thought is essentially like a team, I would have thought a team with Mike Conley, Bojan Bogdanovich, uh, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, you know, until Sunday would have been better than to lose 11 out of 13. Uh, You know, like if I, if I just think about that as an NBA team in the abstract, you know, I think that's better than like Houston. I think that's better than Orlando. I think that's better than, Sacramento, you know, I, I think that there are teams that should be better than and for them to lose, you know, 11 of 13, even with Donovan and Rudy out, I think is relatively disappointing. And I think we have to acknowledge that. I think the Jazz's surrounding, you know, supporting cast is probably less good than we thought they are. And that's kind of a, a major lesson of January. I think pretty clearly this team as currently constructed, even with Donovan and Rudy is not a championship contending team, unless something is done come deadline day on February 10th, you know, and, and they have a week left to do that. But I think it is a really critical week 
because it is kind of like the last gasp of this this era, it feels like a little bit. I mean, yes, you've got kind of two really good players under contract with Donovan and Rudy, but those guys, you know, when, when as Bogey ages, as Mike Conley ages, as Joe Ingles ages, and now, you know, obviously is going to be out for the next year. Plus, it's hard to put the talent around those guys that they that they need to win. And so, especially given that, you know, you don't have your first round pick this year, uh, you won't have any free agent space come this summer and so on and so forth. And so the time to do something is now and the time to do something is this week. And, you know, I, I don't want to say, you know, bring on the eulogy until that happens, until, you know, we get to the trade deadline and then we see and we see what Danny Ainge is able to do. But like as is, you know, they're they're not good enough to win a title. And so that's obviously that needs to change. You know, we'll talk about. Joe Engels a little bit more in our second segment, but I want to stick with this, just an overview of the jazz, because, you know, to me, it kind of feels like, all right, they got to make moves. It feels like they got to make moves, but Joe Engels, he might've been a piece. I know there was a bleach report report saying that the Kings maybe had some interest. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if you guys had heard about that, but, but now it's like, okay, Engels, whatever trade bait he was, is obviously out. You got what Clarkson and maybe future picks and things like that. For you guys, does it feel like, you know, unless Danny, I'll give credit, Danny knows how to make, you know, make trades and make moves, but is it almost becoming a sense of like, because of the injuries and because of the lack of solid depth, if you will, with this team, that's, they kind of have to just ride the ship out like this for the rest of the season. Where am I wrong? I, I think they think they can do something. And I think they are going to be incredibly aggressive in making that happen. And yes, like Joe Ingles being injured is a blow because now he has no on-court value. You know, so some of those trade ideas we had talked about two weeks ago, Joe Ingles for Danny Green, Joe Ingles for Josh Richardson don't work. You know, the, those teams were going to be acquiring Joe Ingles for his shooting and playmaking. Obviously now he can't provide that. So you're looking for teams where either Joe's contract is interesting from just a contract point of view, or like they just need salary matching. Um, in order to get picks in the deal. So, you know, like Robert Covington in Portland is an obvious example where Portland doesn't care if they win for the next three months or not. They, you know, so they may trade Robert Covington uh, for Joe Ingles and draft picks, right? And then it's like, okay, do you give up a first round draft pick for two months of Robert Covington? I probably don't. Do I give up multiple seconds? I think about it, you know? So I, I think those are the kind of the conversations that are happening. You know, the Jazz were interested in moving Jordan Clarkson before this Joe Ingles thing happened, right? Before the injury happened, because he has been, frankly, a negative on both the defensive and offensive side of the court. Like that's, it's just, he's not efficient. He's uh, holding on to the ball too much and is a defensive liability. And so, you know, you'll obviously hope those things change with JC, but for this season, that's what he has been. And so, you know, I think they were looking to say, okay, if there is a team out there that would be interested in acquiring him as kind of a project to see if you can reclaim him to what he was at the beginning of last season, then, you know, they would, they would be interested in making that move. Finding someone to, to take that on is, is not trivial either. You know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of interest for Jordan Clarkson out there. And then, so you kind of then go down to, I think you could move Royce O'Neal if you wanted to, you know, I think he's a guy with a below market value contract who teams could be interested in. I think Boyan Bogdanovich is a guy who obviously has a lot of skill and does a lot for this team, but again, probably produces more than his contract pays him and and would be interesting for teams. And, you know, maybe uh, Jared Butler is interesting as just kind of like a young guy who might be something one day, but like, 
you know, this team is not loaded with like really tradable or interesting players for a, a majority of, of, of the NBA's teams. And so it is kind of hard to figure out where the matches are, but I do know that they are aggressively trying, aggressively giving out offers and doing the best they can in terms of trying to make something happen. They're definitely looking to do something. I think the writing is on the wall that they recognize that as currently constructed, you know, even before the England injury, they were not at the level that they needed to be to be championship contenders. So I think, you know, whether it was Justin Zanuck or Danny Ainge or whoever, like there's universal recognition that there needs to be some kind of change there. The only real problem, which is, which Andy alluded to with Joe's injury, like that limits your optionality a bit, right? Because now, yeah, if, if you're going to include Joe in a deal, it's going to be solely because the team on the other end of the deal doesn't mind him just being cap filler for a few months until his contract expires. I've seen a lot of people out there thinking, well, hey, there's a ton of teams out there that are looking to get money off their books. No. There's not that many teams looking to do that. They, the, the interest in Joe Ingles was, could we fit his skill set into what our team does? Because Joe, despite having a down year, and, and I think we can all agree he was having a down year, you know, his scoring was way down, shooting both from the field and from three-point percentage were way down. He still had skills as, as a secondary ball handler, as an initiator, as, you know, a point forward of sorts. And so the fact that he's now done for the year, that takes some options off the table. So, yeah, in terms of what else they have that other teams find appealing, like, it's difficult to say. Like, does someone view Jordan Clarkson as, you know, a potential reclamation project? Maybe. Then again, like, how eager is Quinn to get rid of him given that, you know, JC is now like takes on an, an even more outsized role in terms of ball handling with that second unit. Now that Joe's gone, there's just all sorts of weird things to consider in, in play there in terms of like who you can deal away and what Quinn is going to want to keep and all of that. So, I mean, they can't worry about that though. And I know that Quinn likes his guys and you know, Hey, fine. But like, Jordan is not a plus on the steam right now. You know, like there are guys you can get who are better secondary ball handlers. You know, honestly, like Carson Edwards is not going to be called out by the Jazz, but Carson Edwards is would be able to give the Jazz the same production that Jordan Clarkson has given the Jazz this year. I mean, like Carson Edwards is, to be clear, again, like a sub NBA level player. <laughs> He's just scoring a lot of points for the Salt Lake City Stars right now, but you know, would provide the same level of points at the expense of efficiency. So. I think in the end, it's like, okay, how do you make Donovan and Rudy happy by improving the team around them? And I, I do think like whether or not Donovan would allow them to trade Royce is an interesting question, but I, I, you know, I think Quinn is going to be willing to move on from guys because the, the, this year has gone. So, so poorly. It's going to be interesting to see for sure this month for the jazz and the jazz were on the road for the majority of January and February. They got, uh, much more home games, obviously, all-star breaks coming up, but they got to stretch with the at home that there are some winnable games, uh, you would say, or at least hope they're winnable, like Orlando, although Orlando's got a lot of young talents, uh, Houston, uh, but then there's some games that are definitely going to be challenging, like Brooklyn and Golden State uh, coming into Bivin Arena, so we'll see what happens, and then also, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, by the deadline. If anything big happens for the listeners, if we have to do an emergency podcast, we might have to do, even if it's for 10 minutes to talk about if there's a, a, a trade, but we will, we will be there for you guys. Uh, let's move on. And talk about, obviously, probably the biggest thing that happened all week, other than the Jazz continuing to slide, is the injury to Joe Angles. 
Uh, Joe is out for basically a year, maybe a little bit more uh, with that torn ACL. If you have not seen the video, I would say do not watch it. Watch it if you want it, but it's still going to look really bad. It's not good. You feel bad for Joe. You know, Joe, yes, like to Eric's point earlier, he's had a down year. It's, it's true, but he's obviously such a fan favorite. He's one of those fan favorites that's, you know, has been adopted here. Like he almost feels like he's adopted Utah to an extent. And yeah, he was trade bait. You could say that's. But also he he helped out a lot in the bench, a bench that doesn't have a lot of debt, if you will. Um, he he's he's definitely a huge blow. So we'll make this into kind of a mini career eulogy, if you will, because I don't know about you guys, but I think it's safe to say that Joe Angles has likely played his last game with the Utah Jazz. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. You know, um, he does want to come back, so he's not gonna retire today. He he does want to come back, is is what I have heard. Now, like Obviously, his contract expires, so is that going to be with the Jazz or is that going to be elsewhere in the NBA? What does that look like? How much does he get paid? I mean, uh, these are very real and uh, significant questions. But, like, Joe, A, was is important for this year's team. I think a lot in the locker room. You know, I we, we talked about uh, – we talked to Trent Forrest at shoot-around before the, De- before the Denver game, and he said, look, Joe was the guy on this team that everybody liked. <laughs> and, like – I think that was kind of a telling point in terms of like, hey, there is some division in the locker room in other ways, but like Joe was the one that after the kind of COVID stuff happened last year in March and after the unsalvageable article was written to like call out Joe, call out Donovan Mitchell and call out Rudy Gobert and say, hey, you guys need to get along in order for this to work for anybody. Get over yourselves and kind of talk to one another. And that did allow them to get better and be the best team in the NBA last year and so on and so forth. So, and then like Joe ruled, right? Like Joe was one of the coolest stories in the NBA has a crazy shot that somehow goes in way more than it should has pass faked more than anybody else has, you know, in the NBA with just owned bigs on that uh, shooting like daggers over Deandre Jordan, beating Paul George in a playoff series, just talking junk the whole time. Like, he rules like it's been a, honestly a treat to watch Joe Ingles play basketball for for the Jazz for the last seven eight years. Like it's 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 fun. Joe's always one of my favorite Jazz players to interact with. It wasn't initially that way when I first started on the beat because I didn't have a good feel for him. It just seemed like you know everyone always jokes about how oh Joe Ingles is, is kind of a kid, right? And like initially when you don't know him very well, and he every interview he starts off by making like some sarcastic comment. You're like, man, what is this guy's problem? And then you know. You spend a year on the beat and you see him do this every single time. And you come to realize that's just Joe's thing. You ask him a question. He starts off with a sarcastic comment. And then he follows up by giving you like some really great insight into like what's going on with him, what's going on with the team. He's every Australian I've ever met. Like, <laughs> uh, like uh, I was talking about this yesterday with somebody, but yeah, like I feel like every Australian is going to call you some swear and definitely unsayable on this podcast and, and you know talk trash and and all that and be sarcastic as all get out and then just kind of be a really good guy behind the scenes who you know you, you'd like to get a beer with you know so yeah like so on this last road trip you know we were having a conversation with with joe i think ahead of the memphis game uh they had just wrapped up their shoot around at the arena and he's taken off his sneakers and he's wearing a pair of uh customized crocs and so it's like you don't see very many NBA players 
uh, necessarily like wearing Crocs around in public. And so like that became a thing to talk to him about. And he was like very excited to tell us about, oh, you know, Mila put this sticker on and Jacob put this sticker on. And oh, of course he had a coffee cup sticker on, on his Crocs, you know, and he's like, and, and someone was like, aren't you worried that like wearing Crocs doesn't make you, you know, is, is uncool for, for an NBA player. And he's like, look at me. He's like, is there a less cool NBA player than Joe Ingles? He was a lot of fun. The next, at, at the next shoot around, I was having a conversation with, uh, with Royce O'Neal and he's talking about the defense. And then all of a sudden Joe, like kind of, you know, sidles over and insinuates himself in the conversation. And, and all of a sudden, you know, Royce is talking about the captain of our defense, Joe, Joe Ingles, you know, just obviously like going over the top, being sarcastically praiseworthy of him. And, uh, you know, I, I made some comment about if, if Joe Ingles is like the salvation of your defense, you're probably in trouble. At which point he threatened to block me on Twitter like he blocked Andy. Um, <laughs> has not done it yet. So <laughs> clearly he likes me better than Andy. But um, yeah, like every every conversation that you that we have with Joe in person just winds up being like really intriguing. And honestly, like much as the jazz are going to miss him on the court, like I'm going to miss being able to talk to him at shoot arounds and being able to talk to him, uh, you know, post game when something went wrong and like asking him what happened there and his, his initial response will be, Oh, what went wrong with the defense tonight? Well, we didn't play good defense. We need to play better defense, you know? And then is that your impression? Yeah, that's it. Yikes, that wasn't great. I didn't I didn't claim to be a master impression. <laughs> <laughs> I'll spend as much time working on my Australian impression as you do researching uh, moving walkways in airports, and we'll both call it a brilliant use of time. I, I hope that Joe is able to come back. Obviously, you hate to see a guy go out that way. Like, it was rough. Like, the, the corner where we were sitting in the arena in Minnesota, like the injury happened pretty much right in front of us. Like I initially thought that Joe's foot had slipped on the court and that was what caused the injury had to go back and like watch the replay and realize that no, like as soon as he planted it, you could see the knee buckle. And at that point, the foot slipped out from under because the knee was destroyed. And you just knew right away that this is almost certainly going to be catastrophically bad and so um hearing him scream out in pain was like it was awful and and seeing him you know on the court being frustrated being in pain being angry being hurt like both emotionally and physically like it it was tough to watch and so you never like to see that and especially you know someone who you who you've gotten to know over the last few years i wanted to ask you guys what you've noticed from his relationship if you've noticed anything about Joe Angles' relationship and his growth in his game being under Quinn Snyder and, and just getting better. Like, I'm just looking at some stats and like, especially that 2017, 2018 year, you know, he took a leap to 11 points a game and just, he, then he went to 12 the, the, the next year. But what do you guys think, in your opinion, is Quinn Snyder gotten the best out of a guy who you could say is obviously not, I don't think you could say, I think everybody can say is not the most athletic. So you guys' point kind of shoots kind of weird. And, but I think to an extent, maybe that's what makes him kind of lovable to fans is like, he kind of looks like one of us. He plays like he's like playing at like noon at Saturdays at the local gym, but then he's got to go at two to Costco because he's got to go to his kids to pick up stuff. But what do you think Quentin Snyder has gotten the best out of Joe Angles throughout these years? 
I mean, his story is is remarkable, and he really has gotten better year after year until, you know, he was 34. But, like, you know, when he was 26 years old, he was playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv, which the team that won the Euro League. He played two minutes in the final. You know, like, he wasn't a, 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 even a role player, you know, for the best team in Euro League. you know, like, and so that was kind of the level that Joe was at. Was, you know, wasn't aggressive in shooting the ball, wasn't a great playmaker and I think most importantly was known as a bad defender and that was kind of what Doc Rivers thought was when he let him go with the with the Clippers in preseason was like hey you know this guy can help but it's not he can't defend enough well enough to like stay on the floor consistently and for the first two years of his jazz career that was also kind of the thought with Quinn too was just like hey it's you know he just can't move fast enough and you get it and so like Quinn helped him figure out like, hey, in order to defend, you're going to have to stay touch tight guys, you're going to have to use your strength and kind of size and, and lean on people and just annoy the heck out of them. And that's going to be your defensive strategy. And it worked and it made him an above average NBA defender at his peak. And then you look at how he's developed like a step back three, definitely never had that um, going right on pick and roll after the Houston shaded him left so much in that series. I mean, he's gotten so much better in so many different ways. And he is like the NBA poster child for having vast improvements of your game after 27 years old. You know, like generally we think of that as the prime of NBA's career, NBA careers. And statistically it is Joe bucked the trend and, and got better every year, even though he was an old man. So like props to props to Joe and yeah, props on Quinn's coaching staff for making that work. Cause like, it, you know, if it, if that was a Joe that we were talking about back then, he wouldn't have been a starter. He wouldn't have been the Jazz's all-time leader in three-point shots and so on. You know, like he just wouldn't have had the opportunity to play because he had so many weaknesses that he had to work on in order to improve his game. Yeah, it's it's one thing to hear, you know, to do end-of-season uh, media interviews with, you know, locker clean-out sessions with Donovan Mitchell and hear him talk about the things he's going to come back and do better next year. It's one thing to hear Rudy Gobert consistently say, I feel like I'm still only scratching the surface of what I'm capable of. And, you know, to hear Quinn talk about, well, this is what Rudy got better at over the summer. Joe Ingles is not the guy you expect to hear that about, right? And yet that's really been kind of the, the hallmark of these last few years of him. Like when I was working on that story earlier this season about Quinn pairing Joe and, and Rudy Gay together in the uh, practice shooting groups, and what his rationale was for that, you know, Rudy just made a joke like, oh, he just did that because we're the two old guys, right? And then you talk to Quinn about it, and he's like, you know, I'm not saying I'm a matchmaker or anything, but did I see value in putting 35, 36-year-old Rudy Gay in the same group with Joe Ingles, who's a few years younger, but who has consistently shown the ability to add things to his game, to improve existing elements of his game year over year, and, and have the thought, man, if Rudy Gay can, like, just get a little something out of that. Like that's saying something right there. Last question in this uh, sort of mini Joingles career eulogy, if you will, what's your favorite memory? What's going to be the one it could be a quote or it could be just his game. Was it like the Paul George, you know, trash talk. What's going to be your favorite memory of Joe on the court? I mean, for me, it's still the most disrespectful shot I've ever seen live. I mean, in the playoffs against the Clippers, Joe Ingles looks at DeAndre Jordan closing out to him, stares him, invites him to come closer, looks at his eyes again, and then just drops a three in his face. Like it is like back then the media seats were up in that corner by the player's tunnel. And so we were probably 
10, 15 feet away from that shot is all. And it's just was wildly disrespectful. And then like shouting at him after, after the shot goes in, going to the bench, giving them high fives. And just like, it, it, it's, I've never seen a player be that callously cold, especially like on a guy who's much bigger and taller than you, you know, like DeAndre Jordan was a good defender in his prime and like, you know, was close to Joe on that, on that switch. And he just like rises, quote unquote, rises up and shoots over him and drains this three. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, that's, that's my favorite Joe Ingles play ever. Heck, that's one of my favorite plays of this era of jazz basketball, just because it was an important three. And yet it was just like, <laughs> it was, it was wild. I don't know that I have one specific play that I can point to, but I mean like that whole Clippers series, just like to this day, you know, every time the jazz play the Clippers, you know, you're going to hear jazz fans making comments on the lines of Joe Ingles is Paul George's daddy. You well, know? that was, that so, was the Thunder series. Oh, that was the Thunder. Well, did I say the Clippers series? That was the you Thunder did. series. Okay. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. The Thunder, the Thunder series with Paul George is what I was referring to. And now he's on the Clippers. And so anytime he faces Paul George, just hearing that he is Paul George's daddy, like to the point that like when someone tried to ask Paul George, like if he notices like the commentary, like whenever he faces the Jazz, like he got like demonstrably like angry and refused. He's very mad about it. And he's like, I'm sick of talking about Joe Ingles. Ask me at like next question. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can go on and talking about Joe, but uh, you know, obviously speedy recovery. If he does want to come back, we'll see. And, and hopefully things will go well for him, even if it's just for, you know, a late sub coming in, whether it's next season or late next season or whenever he can come back, but he'll always be a fan favorites. If he decides to stay in stateside or go back home, we'll see. But if he stays, I know probably Governor Cox will have some sort of position for him ready. If not, hopefully maybe the Jazz organization. But speed recovery, Joe. Okay, so for a buzzer beater today, we're going to talk about team nicknames in honor of or in dishonor to an extent to the Washington football team officially changing their name to the Washington Commanders. Now, obviously, they were not going to go back to their old name, nor should they. But in my opinion, and I'm not... A Washington fan. I'm actually a Dallas Cowboy fan. Unfortunately, I cry a lot. <laughs> um, you know, there were better options. Uh, Red Tails was one of them. Red Wolves, I think, was another one. I think there was some trademark thing going on. But to me, Commanders just sounds lame. It just sounds like, I mean, everybody's online is already saying that they're going to be nicknamed the Commies. So, guys, in honor of Washington having a new nickname, is there an NBA team that, in your opinion, should change their nickname? A, I like the Washington Commies. It's a great name. It's very funny. And B, I think all the names are good. I think that it's fun to shorten the Pelicans to Pellies. I think Toronto Raptors were a Jurassic Park-inspired name, and yet it's still funny to have a dinosaur mascot. I think the Orlando Magic is fun and Disney-themed. And most importantly, I think the Utah Jazz are, is a great nickname and uh, it works for this team and works for the city and has been too successful for the Jazz to, to ever consider changing their name ever, ever. This has been my TED talk on things are fine. Very political answer. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of nonsensical nicknames, but like, I like them. Like, obviously at some point, if we were being logical, yeah, the Jazz should have like stopped being the Utah Jazz shortly after they moved here. The Lakers should have stopped being the Lakers because, you know, 
Los Angeles, not quite known for lakes the way Minneapolis is, but like it's part of the brand at this point and, and it's like universally recognized. So I'm fine with those staying. The ones that I don't like are like teams that did rebrand something else that like are dumb. Like the Washington Wizards is lame. Like I get the rationale for like changing from the Washington Bullets because we don't want to promote gun violence. Gilbert Arenas, notwithstanding. But Wizards is is such a, a dumb nickname. And clearly they just like went for alliteration and didn't really have like great thoughts with that. And Washington Wizards is lame. Beyond that, like what are Nick? I hate Cleveland Browns. Your team is is named after the surname of your original owner. And I guess the family that's still no, that family doesn't still own the team. They're now owned by what the Haslams or whatever. But yeah, yeah. owned by the Haslam's and then the yeah. Browns, uh, the Bengals own the Browns. The Browns own the Bengals. I mean, bang, yeah, the Browns own the Bengals. Thank you. Yeah, the Browns own the Bengals. So that's own even, the family that's of Paul even Brown, more yeah. nonsensical. The team is <laughs> named after a family that now owns a rival team. Um, <laughs> that, and I, honestly, like part of this is just my bias against the color brown. Like, well, I tell, hate me, the, tell me more I, about your bias against the color brown. I just like in terms of clothes. UPS, it's I'm my least favorite. Terms of clothes. It's, it's my or least as, favorite. As a brown person, I was yes. like, oh, okay, no, I'm just kidding. I have no, I have no problem. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hate the color brown as like, say, a color for clothes. Like UPS, my least favorite of the shipping companies because they wear the color brown. They have brown trucks. I don't know why. This might be something you should get evaluated. <sighs> what are the tier of shipping companies? You got FedEx one. You got UPS too. FedEx sucks, A. And B, <laughs> Eric, we still got to figure out why you hate brown. Is this like a childhood thing? Is this, why, why is this? I just, I think things, I think like clothes that are the color brown, I don't like how they look. Like, no, I, I, do not, thought- I do not have any corduroys in my ensemble because I don't like brown pants. Hmm. A team I thought that always should, should have, or I thought they were going to rebrand was the Clippers. I just thought that, you know, they used to be, what, the, the Braves? And I know the they Buffalo, have they the Buffalo Braves and then the San Diego Clippers and then, yeah. I thought when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Steve, Steve, please correct me, somebody. Bomber. Steve Bomber bought them. I thought they were just going to, let's get rid of that kind of history of loserdom uh, and get rid of the name Clippers and just you have and the opportunity. Instead, they, and instead they keep the nickname and then do like the lamest logo rebrand <laughs> ever. They need the heat to make their logo, which is very funny. <laughs> now, like the Jazz are about to go on a questionable rebrand too. So like, you know, but. That's uh, true. Along those lines, I had some people uh, in Memphis and Minneapolis who actually asked me about that. They're like, why is everything that you guys have here like black and white the team curtain you know with the logos behind it and like all the track suits that all the pr people and the training staff are wearing they're like isn't the point of the utah jazz that like you guys have like purple and gold and green and like even the they even you know mentioned the the city edition unis and the dark mode ones they're like you guys actually have some personality and now you're like turning it into this black and white thing and i don't get it maybe they're trying to be raider and that ask Next year is going to be really interesting. Or let's say next season is interesting. Obviously, the All-Star game next season will be here in Salt Lake City. I'm sure it's going to be black and white themed also as well. That's going to be – that's 
Yeah. And I'm a sucker for even like buying jerseys or buying the shorts in particular as well. The Jazz come out with some pretty cool black and white looking shorts. Yeah. They're going to get They legit might sell more stuff because people wear black and white more, but it still does suck from like a personality point of view, I think. This is my take on the rebrand, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see what they make and if it's cool or not. Hopefully they include some brown. <laughs> I'm sure their throwbacks will probably be like, yeah, go back to the... I'm not over that Eric is just anti a color, which... And... <laughs> I don't... No, it's all fine, dude. Okay. You're one, you're full of crap. Well, well, now what needs to happen, Andy, is anytime, if you notice, anytime if Eric wears a piece of brown, then you got to call him out on it. Don't worry. Can we cut the whole thing about me not liking the color brown? <laughs> Andy's going to get me labeled here. Uh, Andy, Eric, always a pleasure. Remember to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And uh, you can find us on social media. I'm at Shortcut on this. I'm at Andy B. Larson. And I'm at Trip Jazz. Till next time, let's hope no other word Jazz bears get injured. See ya.